Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wizard Staff Podcast. I'm your host, Blake. And I'm Guy. And we are two drunk novices who like to talk about EDH. We do drink and swear, so you've been warned. Please drink responsibly when playing children's card games. Oh, tonight we are, like, back at it again for part two of our Midnight Hunt set review. We tried to do it all in one episode last time, but (laughs) we can't help it. We just love talking about cards too much, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, we kind of alluded to this last time, but there's just so many commanders now that you know as an edh podcast we're kind of like yeah we need to talk about each one but also there were a few that were kind of a stinker and we just kind of like glazed over really quickly (laughs) and then even in the ones where we're going into like a little more in-depth analysis there were still a few in there where it's kind of like here's here's the here's the strategy all right let's move on like they were kind of worth talking about but like you know they weren't they weren't spectacular i guess it is all about preference i suppose yeah it's all about preference and bias baby last episode we talked about all the new commanders from the set and this episode we're going to be going over all the new 99 cards in the set we're gonna go in wooburg order so white blue black red green multicolor and colorless sort of stuff but before we do that uh guy what are you drinking tonight scorpion bowl it is a a punch to the stinger that's the that's the <laughs> catchphrase of it okay no stone unturned i can't read you anything about it only because like there's only a couple parts is the font all weird or something it's it's upside down oh <laughs> what it, it's weird oh because it's turned upside down like a stone okay I guess that is, but yeah, so as I'm looking at it, I'm like, huh, um, you, you would think that you're drunk looking at it, being like, oh, <laughs> I really can't read, but yeah, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to drink like four of these, but I'll drink one of them. Does it taste like you're eating a scorpion or something? It tastes like beer, but like <laughs> punched up. Um, I know that's a terrible description because, you know, beer should taste like beer, but it's like if you had three beers in one, I guess. Okay. Oh, gosh. Oh. All right. What are you drinking? Yeah, in contrast, I think I'm drinking something a bit more mellow. This is from Two Beers Brewing Company in Seattle, and it is called Southern Resident Killer Whale Chinook Hazy IPA. It's got, like, two little killer whales in like an ocean setting and i was just like hey i'm back home from vacation i can actually drink this time <laughs> uh so i'm gonna get something local i'm enjoying this it's pretty good cool i mean why don't we just dive right in we got some pretty good white cards i've been very impressed with the last three sets really where we've gotten some pretty noteworthy white cards Yeah, I think White got some pretty good spot removal cards from this set, and I guess technically a board wipe, so yeah, why don't you start us off? We got Vanquish the Horde, 6 White White Sorcery. This spell costs 1 less to cast for each creature on the battlefield. Destroy all creatures. 
Hmm. Now, it's a it's a board wipe, and I, white is definitely not a color that is short on those. But it's eight mana guy. Well, no, it's never going to be eight mana. Like, obviously. If you think of Blasphemous Act, which also came out in the original Innistrad, or maybe it was the second one. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, I, I've never paid the full nine mana for Blasphemous Act. Um, I probably normally pay, like, three mana. I think the most I've ever paid is two. Right, like, the point is, it's never that much. Because you have all these opponents, and they're good. it's going to be lower, and white, you know, has some pretty good board wipes right now. You got, like, Wrath of God, what is it? Damnation. Win- da- well, that's black. But that's a black one, yeah, Wrath of God. You have Wrath of God, you got the, the board wipe that'll give you life for each creature you destroyed. I forget what that one's called. But yeah, so there, there are definitely some good ones in white, but this one, I feel like, is just going to slot itself into... I don't know. Probably, like, top three best board wipes in EDH now? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, there's also, like, Cleansing Nova, which is, like, a pretty common mono-white board wipe these days. Fumigate. Fumigate is what I was thinking of. Yes, I thought so. Yeah, so I think this is just better than both of those in most situations. Yeah, I feel like Wrath of God and Damnation, probably number one. And then I think Dam is probably a close second. And then Vanquish the Horde and Blasphemous Act would take third. Yeah. So most of the time, this is going to be a two-mana Wrath of God effect, basically, in this format. Most likely, yes. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty good. I know that we're kind of guilty of like talking about every single like board wipe that comes out in a new set. We're always like, oh, it's not quite as good as Wrath of God or Damnation. Because, you know, those are like the pillars in which to judge board wipes. And so this time, we actually get to be like, yeah, no, this is actually like... This actually breaks the threshold, like, the common threshold for most deck builders. And, like, this is actually good. (laughs) Yeah, the art is sick. I would highly recommend just start picking up, like, a foil or two of them right now. They're, like, five bucks. But in a good amount of time, they're going to be worth a pretty penny. So pick one up for yourself and then, you know, keep one to maybe sell. Investment, baby. In contrast, this next card is only going to be played by weirdos like me. This next one is called Borrowed Time. It is two and a white enchantment. When Borrowed Time enters the battlefield, exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until Borrowed Time leaves the battlefield. It's basically another O-ring effect, baby. Yeah, so if you're like me, where like your entire removal package in one of your decks, let's say Sigardo's Herons, is O-ring effects... It's, it goes right in there. In most other EDH decks, don't even care about this card next. <laughs> I'm biased, though. I wanted to talk about this card. Oh, I mean, we do that all the time. Yeah, I get to get rid of a 4-mana O-ring effect and replace it with this 3-mana O-ring effect. Oh, yeah. It, I'm actually <laughs> excited about something so tame. Yeah, no, I totally get you, man. <laughs> Speaking of spot removal we got fateful absence which is one in a white instant destroy target creature or planeswalker its controller investigates which means they create a colorless clue artifact token with two sacrifice this artifact draw a card so this card is going to be pretty good i'd say nice spot removal for very cheap effect and i'd say giving your opponent's a clue token is not that bad of a downside. 
Right. I don't see as many people talking about this as I think they probably should in the sense that assuming that you're in mono white, what's the best spot removal you have? All right. There's Path to Exile and Swords of Plowshares, obviously. But then you're like, what is there after that? What's the next best thing? It's like, well, like Generous Gift? And then you quickly realize like, oh, white mono white doesn't really have that good of spot removal. And so like this, in my opinion, as far as I can tell, is like the next best thing after like generous gift. It's obviously worse than like, well, in most inst- most instances, it's worse than all the other three previously mentioned. But then like this is like number four on the list, as far as I can tell. I mean, I think it would definitely come down to preference. Generous gifts does like hit anything, but I think that creature token in my opinion is more valuable than the clue token um unless if you have a deck that really the like runs on clues but you know those are a few here and there so it, it definitely comes down to probably preference but yeah you got source of plowshare half to exile and then yeah generous gifts or this would probably come in the next Although, yeah, this next card maybe is actually number four. I, I It's kind of <laughs> close to call, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I said, Mono White got a, got a lot of good spot removal in this set. So this next card is Cathar's Commando, one and a white creature, human soldier, three one with flash. It's important to note, it has flash. And then it has an activated ability of one, sacrifice itself, destroy target artifact or enchantment. So... Two mana, flash creature, cast this at instant speed. So this is basically an instant. Like, you can think of it as a two mana instant in a way. Well, then you also have to activate it for one. Um, so I guess it's technically three, but again, it's like instant speed, like destroy target, artifact, or enchantment. And, you know, a lot of. Uh, if you're restricted to mono white, like, a lot of mono white strategies really like white weenie strategies, kind of. They have a lot of kind of support for that so i'm thinking of like winota decks or tashar decks that are really going to enjoy this card specifically Uh, i like the design of this card i would like to see more cards like this in the future yeah i i like it too because it's definitely not only can it get rid of something you know what we were talking about an artifact or enchantment but you can flash it in have it block and then you sacrifice it so it is almost like sure. a two two and one. I'm gonna protect myself, and I'm also gonna get rid of a threat kind of thing. Yeah, assuming that you know there's nothing so pressing that you could wait until combat to get rid of it and like get the blocking value out of it as well. Yeah, but yes, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, Blake. I know I'm right. <laughs> oh, can I read this next card? I know I just read a card, but can I read this next one? Go for it, because I definitely want to read the card after that. Okay, perfect. So this next one is Sigarda's Splendor. Two white-white enchantment, so you know I'm going to love it. Uh, when Sigarda's Splendor enters the battlefield, note your life total. At the beginning of your upkeep, draw a card if your life total is greater than or equal to the last note of life total of Sigarda's Splendor, then note your life total. Whenever you cast a white spell, you gain one life. So that's a lot of text, but basically... It's a 4-mana white enchantment that is a draw engine, okay? It's related to your life total, and the last bit where it says whenever you cast a white spell, you gain one life, that really incentivizes this to be 
played and most beneficial in a mono white deck. So in a mono white deck, this is sort of like, as far as I can tell, like a four mana Phyrexian Arena. And you know, <laughs> you know, it's not a direct comparison, I understand, but it, in my mind, it's sort of what the closest comparison. And so if you're a, a low enough, like, power level pod, like, this might be great, because Phyrexian Arena sees a ton of play in Commander, and so if you're kind of on that power level, this might just be great for your mono white deck. If you're at a slightly higher power level, you might not be satisfied with this draw engine. You might want cards like Mangara the Diplomat, or especially like Esper Sentinel is kind of now like the gold standard of like mono white draw. Like for me, like Esper Sentinel like set the bar so high, and I'm like, oh man, are we ever going to reach such greatness again? <laughs> I mean, really, the only way to do it is if you create like a Rhystic Steady that's white, <laughs> being <laughs> honest. But I feel like Esper Sentinel, Sentinel took that place. Yeah, yeah. I think I've heard some designers say that basically Rhystic Steady could have been white. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Guy, why don't you talk about the next card? <laughs> I mean, the only thing I, I wanted to add. Or I guess I don't want to add, but I was super stoked on Cigar to Splendor, but now I'm not as much. I just, I'm starting to value. Why not? I guess, okay, so I guess, like, let me talk about this next card, because then I can kind of explain better. But Cigardian Savior, three white, white creature angel flying. When Cigardian Savior enters the battlefield, if you cast it, return up to two target creature cards with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Okay, now that I've read this card out loud a little more clearly, I realize, okay, not as great as I thought, but <laughs> only because I thought it was like any permanent with mana value two or less, but it's only creatures. But still, five mana for three creatures is pretty good, and if we consider, you know, what kind of white creatures we have, we got... Esper Sentinel, we got... Oh, God. What is the monk's name? Sarah Ascendant. Sarah Ascendant, yes, thank you. We got Mother of Ruins, Giver of Ruins. Uh, we got a pretty big selection of white creatures that we could use that will probably be dead later in the game if we were able to cast them earlier. Grand Abolisher, Dranath Magistrate. There you go. Like, we're... Yeah, we're, we're talking about some pretty good cards here. So I feel like Sigardian Savior is just good value. You do have to cast it, though. And so what I was going to get at is, like, Sigardia, Sigarda Splendor is just a little too high of mana for me to, like, want to consider running it. I do think it's cool, and I think if it's popular, we might see a more pushed version later down the line. But we just gotta give it time to kind of, like, see how it plays out. Yeah, like you were saying, it has. There are many, like, two mana value targets that. There are a lot of them that are just great value creatures. However, the real hang up for me is the line of text that says, if you cast it, which means you can't abuse it with flicker effects, which is like what Mono White wants to do. It wants to abuse those ETB flicker effects, baby. And so, because of those four words, I'm like, I was like, alright, I don't really think I'll ever see this card. Mm -hmm. In contrast, we're going to move to blue, and this next card I expect to see a fair amount. It is Consider, a single blue mana instant. Look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. 
draw a card. So it's basically a slightly better opt or a sort of like a preordain kind of effect. You know that, that one mana instant cantrippy effect. This does basically like surveil one and then draw a card, so it's slightly better than opt. So like, you know, these sorts of like cantrippy cards are like sort of like rounding off the edges of like any deck that really runs like blue in its color identity, honestly, whether you're like mono blue or you're five color. I see these sorts of like cantrippy cards played a lot, and so I expect to see like consider played a, a fair amount. I mean, I was I've started playing modern, and when I was there, lots of people were playing it. It's definitely a, going to kind of become a new blue cantrip spell that is just very popular. And I know there was like a little bit of like debate about why this doesn't just say surveil one draw a card and you know gavin made a youtube video on his youtube channel good morning magic and explained it uh some people were still not happy with that explanation i don't know what to tell you like i'm not a card designer <laughs> like i don't i don't really mind that much that it doesn't say surveil one because it's like not really tied to like the set in which surveil was originating mm -hmm. i don't mind no, I totally agree with you. I think if you kind of look at other cards that say whenever a land enters the battlefield, why doesn't it have landfall? Like, it's kind of the same thing. Landfall is tied to a very specific place. Zendikar. Surveil is tied to the guilds of Ravnica. So I don't think you can just keyword it and move on like that. There is like a flavor to it. Oh god, okay. Read the name of this next card. Triskadekafal? Yeah, tr Triskadekafal. Tri tri okay, I know why <laughs> you now wanted to switch a couple of cards ago. It was like, oh, when it comes up to this card, Guy's gonna mess up. I was playing 5D chess this whole time. <laughs> so, Triskadekafal. Tris Triskadekafal. Uh, I'm just gonna stop. One blue, creature, human, wizard. You have no maximum hand size. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly 13 cards in your hand, you win the game. Three and a blue, draw a card. So, another one of those blue win conditions. We got Laboratory Man Maniac, Thassa's Oracle. What is it? Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh, not Jace the Mind Sculptor. Um, Jace Wielder of Mysteries. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I feel like this one... This one's good. It's just a little harder to accomplish than some of the other ones which I think makes it like okay I did see this kind of janky combo where you have this that arrow MOBA um, it's I think it was from Modern Horizons 2 it's like an elemental beast it's like a manatee in the sky you have that and so you have both of these on the field you cast Peer into the Abyss you draw a lot of cards Mm -hmm. And then uh, you would also cast Savor the Moment, which would give you an extra turn. But you don't care that it's going to skip the untap step because it's your end phase. Um, with the Manatee in the Sky, you can just discard cards down to 13. And then, you know, you take your next turn and win there. So, like, I think Star City Games is where I saw that. <laughs> so, like, it's a janky, like, fun combo. It's not like... 
you know, thoughts as Oracle in response to Mana Consultation when the game kind of thing. <laughs> like, that's that's OP. That's this is more inducing. like fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this has a few more hoops to jump through. If you actually make this as like one of your win conditions, it's definitely, as you were saying, where you either try to draw a whole bunch of cards and then have a discard outlet to where you discard at instant speed down to exactly 13 uh, for the trigger on the upkeep, or you play this way to rotation of the table, play an instant speed mass draw spell like Blue Sun Zenith or something, and you just have enough mana to get up to exactly 13. That's another way I see it. I've also seen people talk about running tra uh, training grounds to reduce the activation cost to where you only have to pay two mana in order to draw a card instead of four. Like that middle text of winning the game is just supported by the fact that you have no max hand size in that first line of text. And then you, it even helps you get there with a four mana draw card. So this is like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, as you were saying, like, you know, if people are tired of your salty Thassa's Oracle win package, you know, you can power down your deck and run this instead and give yourself a couple of hoops to jump through. For sure. What's next? So this next card is a double-faced card. So the front half is Malevolent Hermit, one and a blue creature human wizard, two one, and it has an activated ability of a single blue, sacrifice it, counter target non-creature spell unless its controller pays three, and then has Disturb, two and a blue. Uh, so remember, you can cast this card from your graveyard transformed for its disturbed cost. So you cast it from your graveyard for three mana, and then it turns into Benevolent Geist, which is a creature human wizard 2-2 with flying. Of course, when it's put into your graveyard from anywhere, exile instead, like all disturbed cards. But the most important line of text is the fact that it says, non-creature spells you control can't be countered. Uh, where to begin with this card? Okay, so first off, the front half in my opinion, is somewhat similar to Glen Alendra Archmage, where it's this creature that can sacrifice itself for a little bit of mana to counter one of your opponent's spells. And I don't see Glen Alendra Archmage played as much as I did, say, like five years ago. It was very popular, like five or four years ago. I don't see it as much anymore, but the most important side is the back side, the one that makes um, your non-creature spells uncounterable, basically. Of all the cards in this set, this one seems the most relevant towards CEDH, competitive EDH. There's been a lot of talk about specifically Kenrith Hermit Druid decks using like LED and Dread Return and using those and then this to making your combo like uncounterable and and then even if you're not specifically in Kenrith Hermit Druid, just CEDH decks in general might be interested in this because making your stuff uncounterable is pretty powerful at that end of the format. Um, I know our friend Park is also kind of interested in this for his, like, Brawl control deck, where it's just, like, hard mono-blue control. Uh, this is one of the few cards that I have bought for this set. I know I just said a lot. Do you have anything to add, Guy? Not really. I recognize that it's a strong card, but it's not something that interests me personally. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, my CEDH deck of choice is Gitrog, so, like, it's not really gonna help me yeah <laughs> how about i counter your get rog and i make my counter uncounterable with this yeah i mean the timing of that has to work out pretty well but <laughs> okay all right i'm just teasing you i uh, know this next card so this this one drown in dreams 
can only be found in the zombie precon deck that we had talked about last episode. So if you're looking for it, you can either find it in the zombie deck or you can find it in collector boosters, I believe. I believe so. Yeah. So Drown in Dreams X2 Blue. That casting cost seems familiar. <laughs> Instant. Choose one. If you control a commander as you cast this spell, you may choose both. Target player draws X cards. Target player mills twice X cards. So, if you don't already know, this is pretty much Stroke of Genius, which is a pretty strong blue card, especially in blue decks where that's kind of all they focus on, whether it's you're trying to draw cards to answer, or you just get a butt-ton of mana, and then you make your opponents draw a bunch of cards and make them lose. Yeah. I think the funniest thing for me is the fact that, at least in this point in time, it truly is a strictly better stroke of genius, and I say that because like the term like strictly better, I often roll my eyes because 95, maybe 99% of the time, it's not actually true, because you know there's so many exceptions in magic that there's always some niche situation where one card it actually is better than the other, even if it looks like it's worse. But until the day that Wizards prints some sort of way to punish like modal cards or something, this actually is just a strictly better stroke of genius. Yeah, and I do like how we are seeing more of these... Um... Like, it started with the will cards from Commander Legends. If you control a commander, you get, like, this added benefit of picking... Not having to pick the two modes. So I really hope that this kind of continues. It will. I can almost guarantee it. Yeah, I'm hoping for something more like this in Crimson Vow. Or Commander Legends Boulder's Gate, which comes out next year. Hopefully we'll see some more of those kind of will cards. Because, you know, it'll be made for commander for sure all right we're gonna move into black with infernal grass one in a black instant destroy target creature you lose two life so uh, this this is a, a long time coming where like you know there's a lot of mono black instant speed spot removal spells for creatures you know doom blade is kind of like the ground level in which everything's based off of and then you know this is better than that and i think one of the closest comparisons is like go for the throat and this is like better than go for the throat because it hits target creature and you don't really mind the two life lost and go for the throat is still played in like a whole bunch of decks at least according to edhrec.com so you know it's not quite as good as other mono black spot removal cards like Feed the Swarm or Deadly Rollick. However, it is like in a nice middle point. As I said, it's better than go for the throat, so I think this should see a good amount of adoption. I agree. It kind of reminds me of the one card we just got in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, where it was like destroy any creature, but it can't be like a angel, demon, or dragon. Yeah. So it pretty much like opened it up to like a majority of the creatures. Yeah. Granted, those are three very common creature types, but still very good option. But yeah, this one's better. Um, our next one is Lord of the Forsaken. Four black black creature demon. Flying trample. Black. Sacrifice another creature. Target player mills three cards. Then pay one life. 
add colorless mana. Spend this mana only to cast a spell from your graveyard. <laughs> Not bad. Works well with my favorite card, Underworld Breach. <laughs> uh, you mean like specifically the last ability of like paying one life to add a colorless and spending it only on cards from the grave? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, it works pretty well there. Yeah, what do you think, Blake? Uh, you know, this is just like in my mind, like they designed this card and then they're like, okay, that's too powerful. We need to like set some restrictions on it. So for the sacrifice line of text, they added a black mana so you have to like, so it's not just a, like a free sack outlet to mill three cards. Otherwise that would have been fucking amazing. It would have been like a nerfed alter dimension. That would have been so strong. And then like they were like, add one man, pay one life, add a colorless. Uh, that's too strong. Let's restrict to spending uh, mana, like spend this mana only to cast things from your grave. Which, uh, like, so it's a hard nerfed channel. I, I'm kind of reluctant to even like refer to it as like this ability as a channel, but it is like a hard nerfed channel. Uh, because of those hard nerfs that they gave it, like it's, it's pretty good. Like, I can imagine myself playing, like, a mid-tier pod and just getting stomped by this card. Uh, but it's definitely not, like, CDH or anything like that. I mean, definitely not CEDH, but I do kind of like the pay one life clause. Because yeah. if you think of, like, um, what is it? There's that white enchantment where it's, like, if you begin the game at the beginning of your upkeep, if it you yeah, have one life, you win the game. Like, cards like that, uh, you could definitely have this out on the field, just pay a bunch of life, have one life, win the game there, kind of thing. Sure, if you needed to manipulate your life total in order to get some sort of a trigger or something, sure, yeah, but yeah. I don't right. know if Kaliodex wants this or not, but who knows. I mean, probably not, because I, I imagine the second clause where it's pay one life, add colorless mana, like, this is made more for the limited environment that is Innistrad, Midnight Hunt, and Crimson Vow. I thought you know? so, yeah. Because, you know, we have Disturb and Flashback, so I think this is just directly calling out those kind of decks. I think the downside, I guess, because when you think about Flashback decks, they are Jeskai, um, so they're not going to be able to run something like this. Yeah, so that's weird. Yeah, so I feel like the best decks are probably more the black-red decks that are going to utilize Underworld Breach to kind of go off. It's, like, not half bad, but I can definitely tell, like, there are ways in which the design has restricted this from just being busted, which is probably a good thing. Alright. This next mythic is, like, I think a little bit more relevant to the format. It is the Meat Hook Massacre X Black Black Legendary Enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, each creature gets negative X, negative X until end of turn. And then, whenever a creature you control dies, each opponent loses one life. And then, whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you gain one life. So, this is a lot of text. And first and foremost, this is a, like, board wipe on an enchantment. Sort of like Toxic Deluge, um, in the sense that it's like the amount of mana put into it is proportional to how much you're weakening creatures on the board. And then, I think that's 
most of what I've heard people talking about, and I think a lot of people forget about like the second and third lines of text, which are very similar to cards like Zulaport Cutthroat, Blood Artist, Bastion of Remembrance, these sorts of effects that are definitely pieces of like, if you have an infinite sacrifice loop, you can just win the game. This is just a enchantment that'll stay on the board and help you win. So a lot of like aristocrats sort of infinite death loops, this is just like part of a win condition, which I think a lot of people are overlooking. Oh, I mean, totally. This card slaps. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most expensive cards of the set. It is, and definitely you know, worth the price. Because if you think about it, like, Toxic Deluge is a good card. It, you know, yes. probably next to Damnation best black board wipe. But then you also, so you spend the mana, you play this, and, you know, you kill a couple things, but then you also get this to stick around, not just for the turn where everything dies, but just in general. Like, it sticks around, it's an enchantment. And enchantments are also one of the most durable card types next to lands, probably. Yeah. So I'd say, like, this is, this is a good card. Like, I think when I first saw it, I was like, meh, but... No, I, I'm definitely more hooked on this card now. If you're using this as a combo piece, like I think you're even willing to like have XP zero and just cast this as a two mana enchantment that is a combo piece. Like, so I yes, yeah. I agree because like I plan to run this in my Lisa deck oh, just yeah? because I okay. look for these kind of effects where it's like anything that happens, um, someone's gonna lose life or I gain life. Uh huh definitely helping me get like sanguine bond and exquisite blood triggers to start going off so i would totally if i had if i had everything ready i would just cast this for like black black that's awesome yeah yeah i love this card yeah all right now we're going to move on to red and we got burn down the house three red red sorcery choose one Burn down the house deals 5 damage to each creature and each planeswalker. Or create 3 one wood red devil creature tokens with when this creature dies, it deals 1 damage to any target. They gain haste until end of turn. So this is definitely kind of um, one of the cards I wanted to talk about as like a pet card-ish. Just because I love the versatility between it being a solid board wipe. Because 5 damage is a lot when you think about it it could probably kill most things mm -hmm. like you'll you'll have some creatures probably stick around but five five damage is enough to at least kill like a majority of the board so i like it for that but then also in perforos uh the duality of being able to choose between a board wipe or doing six damage is pretty valuable to me because then i create three creatures and they don't add on the uh, devotion. Yeah, it seems perfect for Perforos specifically. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly why I <laughs> just talk about it. I mean, this does not target, so it'll kill my Sigarda, which I'm sad about. Well, if your Sigarda's buff, probably not. Yeah, so just kill her before she gets buffed. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, what's next? Next up is Bloodthirsty Adversary. One and a white creature vampire with haste, 2-2, two, two, and then a whole bunch of text. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay two and a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Bloodthirsty Adversary. 
Then, exile up to that many target instant and, and or sorcery spells with mana value 3 or less from your graveyard and copy them. You may cast any number of cop copies without paying their mana cost. So that's a whole lot of words. Basically, if you have a bunch of low mana cost instants and sorceries in your graveyard, it's kind of like Mizzix Mastery, where you just like storm off and do a bunch of bullshit. Am I wrong? You're not wrong. <laughs> it's just like... You know, it, you want to run this in the decks where you can pay for the two red a lot. Yeah. And in mono red, I think that might be tricky. I plan to run this mainly because it's a solid two drop creature. Because I look for like the low mana curve. But then also like later in the game, like I could probably play a majority of my other red sorcery spells or instants that are in there. Like, I don't know, you got Wheel of Fortune... Wheel of Misfortune, you got Cathartic Reunion, Faithless Looting, if you didn't already like flash that back, Gamble, Jessica's Will, you got some pretty solid options here. There are some good targets, especially if you're running the, the best of the best for Mono Red. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ooh, this next one's a dragon, you excited? Uh, I was, I was kind of like hoping it'd be a little better, but let, let's read it. So it's Moonvale Regent. 3 red, creature dragon, flying. When you cast a spell, you may discard your hand. Alright. If you do, draw a card for each of that spell's colors. When Moonvale Regent dies, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors among permanents you control. So, not terrible. I feel like you really need to benefit from having a multicolor deck. So like Ur Dragon, where you're going to have tons of spells that are or even just dragons that are gonna probably have two colors in them most likely mm -hmm. or even like ur dragon itself who's five mana uh not five mana five color yeah so yeah yeah i've seen a number of people talking about this card in comparison to like arjun the shifting flame and mind moil but i argue that those two cards are much stronger because the problem with, like, Moonvale Regent is, like, at most, it can draw you five cards after you've discarded. Because, in in theory, like, you've drawn, like, five cards because the card you, like, got rid of was, like, a five-color spell, right? So you need to be, like, in five-color to get the maximum value out of this card, in, in theory. And so that already has, like... A decent amount of limitations to it and it's not quite the uh wheel deck that most people think of when when they think of like mind moil and arjun the shifting flame so this card occupies like a weird space and where like where does it like when you actually think about it like where does this card actually go it's not actually that clear like a five color or dragon deck maybe but that's kind of it i don't know man Mm-hmm. No, I get ya. The death trigger is nice, but it's not the thing that we really care about. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I could care more about it. Like, it kind of reminds me of Leyline Tyrant that we got last year. Because I was stoked that it could hold my mana. And then, like, when it dies, it would deal some damage. But I, I ended up dropping that. And I feel like that this doesn't even come close to being that good for at least me. So it's, this definitely has a home in some decks, but I don't think it's going to be, like, a mono-red staple by any yeah. means. Just eat this motherfucker right out of the sky. All right. Yeah, Blood, <laughs> Bloodthirsty Adversary <laughs> seems like a better 
card to include in your mono red decks. Sure. Like, I'm already on my second beer, so I'm just like, ah! Next. <laughs> okay. We're not moving into green. Ooh, this card you just got, so I'm excited to hear what you have to say, I guy. Did. So it is Ren and Seven. I think also next to the next to the Meat Hook Massacre, it is one of the most expensive cards of the set currently. It, this is Ren and Seven. Three green green. Legendary Planeswalker Ren. It starts off with five loyalty. So five mana, five loyalty. Makes sense. And then it has four loyalty abilities. So let's just try and read through these really quickly. <clears throat> Plus one, reveal the top four cards of your library, put all land cards revealed this way onto your hand, into your hand, and the rest into your graveyard. Zero, put any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. That's arguably the most relevant, we'll talk about that later. Negative three, create a green Treefolk creature token with reach and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. Negative 8. Return all permanent cards from your graveyard to your hand. You get an emblem with you have no maximum hand size. Guy, take it away. I don't know why you're like calling me out to like start talking about this card. <laughs> I bought this card because there was an altar I wanted to do with the card. <laughs> like, that's the only reason why I bought it. It is a strong planeswalker. Like, I know we don't get a ton of those. Because, <laughs> like, Every set, we're kind of like, yeah, I mean, we could talk about them, but they're not, like, the most EDH relevant. Yeah. This one well, probably makes the threshold for some of the... Um, landfall decks. Like landfall decks. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at, where it's like, all right, it's a five-mana spell. Most of the time, you're going to want to immediately use the zero loyalty... Ability where it's just put any number of land cards in your hand onto the battlefield tapped. It's like, all right, the downside is they're tapped, but the fact is, like, you could, in theory, just like have a huge hand and just like absolutely dump a shit ton of lands in a single turn, which is very powerful. You know, it sort of reminds me of like Mana Bond, which, you know, you can, if you build your deck right, you can do some stupid stuff with Mana Bond. And then there's also, like, you could also compare it as like a super, like, Sakura Tribe Scout esque card. You know, there's a a certain type of card that says like tap put a land from your hand onto the battlefield tap this zero ability is basically a super juiced up one of those the downside is the fact that this is five mana and sakura tribe scout and its similar counterparts are like one or two mana or something so yeah kind of as we were saying like potentially in some landfall decks not every landfall deck but some landfall decks are definitely going to play this and they're going to run this and it's going to be like oh they just dropped seven lands and now they're really set up for next turn in their landfall strategy fuck my ass um <laughs> i'm in trouble yeah a good commander that i think that this card could be slotted into is karth the lion which recently came out in modern horizons 2 mm -hmm. it was that green black golgari one that cares about planeswalkers you know yeah remember yeah i think that i do yeah, this would be a solid addition there. I was also thinking of like Lord Windgrace because you know, Lord Windgrace well, yeah. is a planeswalker, and like you're already doing certain planeswalker synergies mixed with landfalls, and like this would also slot into that. So, you know, I might see it every once in a while. Who knows? Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, we got Augur of Autumn, one green green creature, human druid. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. 
you may play lands from the top of your library, and then it has Coven. So as long as you control three or more creatures with different powers, you can cast creature spells from the top of your library. So that's pretty good, considering I think the two things you care about most in green decks are creatures and lands. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's pretty accurate, you know? The closest counterpart it can be compared to is like Corsair of Crufix, where it's basically like this creature that lets you play lands from the top of your deck. It's also similar to Oracle of Moldiah in that way, however you can't play extra lands. And then it's also similar to Vizier of the Menageries in that last line of text where it's playing creatures from the top of your deck, which certain decks like Momir, Beer, ha- Momir Big Hackball um, want. So this is like all three of those cards that I just mentioned see a decent amount of play in the format. So I think this will as well. One thing I like to say is that... You know, the wording on Augur of Autumn is slightly different. It says you may look at the top card of your library anytime. You don't have to play with it um, revealed to your opponents, which is actually like a huge benefit. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I, as I can tell you from a lot of experience playing Corsair of Crufix, it really sucks when like you're trying to be a good player and you're trying to be transparent. And so like you're drawing a bunch of cards and like because of course our crew fix, you're like, all right, I'm drawing such and such. And then, okay, I'm drawing now such and such. I'm drawing this and that and this. And like, say you just drawn like four cards and like psychologically your opponents get that information. And they, in my opinion, they over evaluate you as a threat because they see what you're drawing. And like, they might be like, okay, cards, but like, you know, they're not going to win me the game, but like because they know, like, oh, you just drew four cards and they were all half decent, and because that is knowledge that I know versus like a, another opponent who maybe doesn't look as scary, but they have absolute bomb of threats in their hand, which is like hi- hidden from you, like you just don't know. So, like, I'm viewed as a threat when really this other opponent is a threat. So, the point I'm trying to make here is the fact that you don't have to play with the topic of the library revealed and you get to keep that information secret is really, really. A benefit versus Corsair Crufix and Oracle Moldaya. It's really nice. So, yeah, consider that when you're playing this card. No, I, I totally agree. I think that's a great point. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to the multicolor section, and we only have three cards. So, let's go through this. It is Rite of Harmony, green and white, instant. That says, whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control this turn, draw a card. And it also has flashback for two green-white. So, the most direct comparison you can make is Glimpse of Nature, which is also like a low mana, I think, mono-green instant. And it only cares about creatures. And it's played in a lot of, like, elf ball strategies, quote-unquote. So this can also be sort of, like, played in an elf ball strategy because it'll draw you cards for each creature you can play. However, the notable difference is that this says creature or enchantment. So, this also triggers on enchantments entering the battlefield. So a lot of enchantment-esque strategies want this. It's kind of similar to Eidolon of Blossoms or Satessan Champion, where you play Rite of Harmony, then you cast a whole bunch of enchantments, and you draw a whole bunch of cards. So I am interested in playing this for my enchantment-focused deck. It's really nice, the fact that it's only two mana, it's instant speed, and if you need 
to like this and if you want to reuse it again or you had to discard it from an opponent's effect or something you can always recast it for its flashback cost which is pretty reasonable at four mana uh so this is just like pretty strong like so it's it's not like a mass draw spell like you definitely need to have this be like the first spell of your turn and then cast a whole bunch of enchantments and or creatures and so sequencing really matters with this card but it has like a really high ceiling and i like it i think in the decks where it can work it can work oh yeah but it's definitely one of those ones where it's not so much a build around but it does take a specific kind of deck to make it work yes i definitely say that because like i will say like in my enchantment deck, it's going to suck when, like, I dump my hand in the first few turns, and then I draw Rite of Harmony as, like, one of my only cards in hand, and I have no way to, like, string it into, like, a whole bunch, like, a, a brand new hand versus, like, a mass draw spell, which would. So, like, it, it's it's definitely dependent on the situation. You need to be careful. Mm-hmm. All right. So, now we have Tefiri, who slows the sunset to... White, blue, legendary planeswalker to Fury. Choose up to one target artifact, up to one target creature, and up to one target land. Untap the chosen permanents you control. Tap the chosen permanents you don't control. You gain two life. Look at the top three cards of your library. Uh, so minus two. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. In a minus seven, you get an emblem with untap all permanents you control during each opponent's untap step, and you draw a card during each of your opponent's draw steps, and it enters with four loyalty. So, any kind of planeswalker who can be paired with doubling season, come in immediately ultimate, just a good card. You know? Yeah, that, that, that really is one of the major indicators as to whether or not... Uh... Planeswalker is good in this format, is if it can immediately ult with a doubling season out. Yeah. And I mean, so we did get two pretty good Planeswalkers in kind of the general scheme of things. There was Arlen. We got another Arlen because werewolves. I'd say like hers was good, but it's not, we're going to talk about it good. Where exactly that one was very specific to the werewolf, the werewolf decks. Like if you are making a werewolf deck i would slot that in definitely yeah that one the arlen planeswalker was definitely weaker and only really relevant towards werewolf tribal so yeah we didn't really talk about it i like this teferi like i put him on the list to review then i took him off then i put him back on because i realized no there are some things like you said the doubling season so if you can get to that ultimate it really is like a seed born muse effect which is pretty powerful um, I don't know if you've ever played against like a C4 Muse. It is really hard, even if the rest of the players start to team up against that player to like overcome all the advantages they're gaining. Like, there's a reason like Prophet Kubrick is banned. It's like the strongest of this type of effect. And then also, it has the potential to combo with the Chain Veil if you untap a certain like art. Like, if you are able to untap with the plus one in like an optimal way like so just the fact that it combos with doubling it, it ultimates immediately with doubling season and it also can work with the chain veil it is like automatically like a pretty decent planeswalker especially for like super friends decks 
Alright, we're kind of in the home stretch now. We got three more cards. Blake, why don't you read this next one? Alright, this next one is Flesh Taker. White and a black creature human assassin 2-2. Whenever you sacrifice another creature, you gain one life and scry one. And then as an activated ability of one, sacrifice another creature. Flesh Taker gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Guy, why don't you talk about this card first? Ah, oh, damn it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I put this on the list because I think, you know, you got white-black aristocrats decks, and this is pretty good because, like, you can just scrot, because, like, oftentimes you're just going to be, like, sacking a lot of creatures to, like, Phyrexian Altar or Viserocir. Um, it would probably also have, like, Blood Artists out. So this card for two mana is just going to be able to, like, sit there gain you some life, scry you some cards. Overall, pretty good value. Yeah, I mean, to some degree I'd agree. I mean, it's almost a free sack outlet. You do have to pay the ones. That's kind of nice. But I think the issue with me is that there's just so many other aristocrat-type cards where that say, like, whenever you sacrifice another creature, your opponent, an opponent loses one life or something, and so you get into these infinite sack loops where, like, they're part of a win condition. In contrast, this is a card that can, if you do an infinite sack loop, sack loop gains you infinite life and infinitely scries you, but it doesn't actually win you the game, unlike all these other pieces in EDH. So that's why I'm not quite as high on this card. I don't know if you have a counterpoint to that. I don't have a counterpoint, I guess, but I just thought, like, it doesn't seem like a bad decision to put that in the deck, especially if you haven't drawn into some of your other win conditions, like, I don't know, Blood Artist or Zulaport Cutthroat, which will ultimately be then taking, like, life from your opponents. It kind of seems like a an alternative Cruel Celebrant, almost, in my mind. Yeah, I will say, this is something that I feel like I would see, like, in a Haunted Corn Maze. Oh, yeah, I mean, the card's, the card's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will give it that. Alright. So, I think we'll move on to the colorless section. We just have three cards here. Uh, this next one, I'd argue, is one of the most powerful cards of the set. There aren't too many powerful cards in the set, but I think this one is on the top. It is Moon Silver Key to generic. It's an artifact. It has an activated ability of one tap, sacrifice it. Switch your library for an artifact card with a mana ability or a basic land card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So I'm just going to tell you right now, you're probably not spending three mana to find a basic land. You're probably spending three mana to find like a really powerful artifact. Whether it's Soul Ring, or Mana Crypt, Jewel Lotus, any of the Signets, any of the Talismans, Grim Monolith, which is a combo piece, Basalt Monolith, which is a combo piece, Mana Vault, or like this, don't forget Phyrexian Altar or Ashnod's Altar, which, or Kark Clan Ironworks, which all are technically mana abilities. Um, there's also like the Great Henge because it taps for mana and then it does other stuff. You can still get that because it does tap for mana. You can also get LED, which is an infamous combo piece. There's just a bunch of fucking really strong artifacts you can search out with this card and it's only going to cost you three mana. This thing is like a fucking powerhouse, dude. Yeah, I'm not super high on it because I don't think I have any decks I could run it in, but 
I do recognize it as being a good um, tutor for artifacts. Um, and then especially in decks too, where they can like abuse the fact that they could bring it back. Like I think Park was talking about how Tashar would be able to use this really well because he could just recur it so easily. Yeah, Park's gonna fucking wreck us with this card, and I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright. Should I read this next card? Because I put this next card on the list, and I have specific things to say about it. Yeah, I think that would be nice, because I really don't see why you put it on the list. Alright. I mean, I'll explain. Re- read the card. I'll, I'll explain. Yeah. I'll read the card first. The Celestius, it is three mana. It's a legendary artifact. If it's neither night... Uh, sorry, there's a lot of text on this, and it's very confusing. If it's neither day nor night, it becomes day as the Celestial enters the battlefield, and it taps to add one mana of any color, and then it can also uh, three tap. If it's night, it becomes day. Otherwise, it becomes night. Activate only as a sorcery. Whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, you gain one life. You may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So there's a whole bunch of fucking text, but basically what you need to know is that this only goes in Werewolf Tribal. Okay, let's just get that out of the way. But I'd say the more important thing about this is the fact that it is a 3 mana value mana rock that has additional benefits that incentivize it to be played in certain strategies. And... So the reason I bring this card up is because, you know, Arcane Signet came out... Fuck, when did it come out? It was when Brawl was, like, a thing for, like, a couple months. Eldraine. Yeah, Eldraine, thank you. And, like, it just, like, was an instant staple. Like, without a doubt, not even a question, because it was just, like, instant staple. And so there was a big upcry from the community, and I think it was justified in the fact that, like, hey, stop printing, like, like a, like the most obvious example of, like, a new staple in, like, the Commander format, even though there's a lot of nuances to why it ended up why it was a complicated story of why it just accidentally ended up becoming a staple in Commander. But the issue was like, hey, we don't want a bunch of like obvious staples in Commander. We want like three mana rocks that incentivize, that tap for a single mana, then incentivize being played because they give you benefit for like something else. So like this is a perfect example of like, all right, like here's a three mana rock that you're incentivized to play like specifically in like a werewolf strategy. More like a couple sets ago there was like the cursed mirror which is also a three mana value mana rock that tapped for like red and did something else which kind of incentivized in like mono red decks or decks that played red and so i'm hoping that this is a design going forward where we see more three mana value rocks that have an additional benefit that in certain strategies um incentivize those strategies and so it's not just like, oh, every single EDH deck plays the Cygnus and Talismans and Arcane Cygnus and that's it. Because that's boring as hell. And it's like, come on. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I totally agree. I think uh, another good example, I think, was from earlier this year where uh, we got Cursed Mirror. Yeah, that's the one I mentioned. Like, that yeah. was a very... Yeah. Yeah. So, this one... But this one, I think... Right. It's a three-mana artifact that probably is only going to be played mostly in the werewolf decks Mm -hmm. so i like that it does give you those other benefits but like if you don't really care about the night or day it's not like it's going to be something that you're going to see all the time 
Yeah, yeah. It's just about like trying to make the format less homogenous, which I feel like it has become over the last few years. As Commander has become more popular, there's inherently going to be like homogenization. Yeah, you're right. But with that, that kind of wraps up our Midnight Hunt review. We would recommend also checking out all the cool new full art black and white lands. Those are pretty nice. I'd say the downside that I've seen people talk about with them, though, is it is a little difficult to tell what land your opponents are playing because they are black and white. They're not any color. So just kind of be careful. And if you are playing them, I'd recommend um, making sure that you're clear about like what colors each land taps for. I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, guy, but I thought that the black and white lands, they had like pinstriping of the actual color of those lands. Do they not? They do, I think. But it's but still tough. Also, it's it's still tough. Like if you there's a lot going on on a magic field, especially with commander. So I think it's going to be still kind of difficult. And for some of the ones that are like black under these purple or with like white, they kind of use like a yellow. It's still going to be kind of hard to like pick that out. Like I feel like red is the one that's probably going to be the easiest to tell. You know that those are mount- supposed to be mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Like I imagine so. the plains and the swamps are probably the hardest to tell. But I I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I I just have seen a few people talk about that on like Twitter and Facebook saying like. Yeah, they're, they're a little disappointed in that, but like I feel like that's that's like a minor thing too, because like it's not like everyone's just gonna start using those. True. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so with that, thank you very much for listening. We are the Wizard Staff Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you leave a like and review. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wizard Staff One Hundred One. Send us an email at thewizardstaff101 at gmail.com if you wouldn't bitch and complain about how stupid we are. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you have a great night. Peace out. Peace.